0: Can the Thunder keep up the pace without Ennis Canter? How good is the supporting cast around Russ? Is Russell Westbrook padding his rebounding stats? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I'm pleased to bring on the show Eric Horn, who is the Thunder beat writer for The Oklahoman and NewsOK.com. So, Eric, uh, we have some exciting news, or sorry, not so exciting news to talk about, but certainly everyone—I on everyone's mind, and I think uh, to jump right into it, what's happening with uh, with Ennis Cantor and his harm?
1: Well, uh, first of all, Nick, thanks for having me on, and then, uh, I mean, just to kind of jump into it, you know, this guy is, is reportedly projected to be out six to eight weeks. Uh, fractured his right forearm in last night's game against a, <laughs> and basically an inconsequential game against the Dallas Mavericks, who were, who went to uh, Oklahoma City last night with a ragtag roster. And you know, Kander comes to the sidelines. He's he's frustrated about you know the way his game is going. Uh, he the Mavericks have been physical with him the night before uh, on a back-to-back. The first night of a back-to-back. He had gotten uh, inadvertently elbowed in the eye by Anthony Davis, and that opened up a big gash underneath his left eye, which he had to get stitches for. So going into the Mavericks game, uh, it seemed like he was having problems with that eye. He was, he was frustrated with, with the physicality. And then uh, during the second quarter, you know, he goes over, slams his hand on the on the on one of the chairs on the sideline, and next thing you know, after the game, he, uh, Billy Donovan says he's got a fractured forearm. So it's a big blow for the Thunder.
0: You know, uh, I, what I had heard, I didn't watch the game carefully, but it seemed like he was on edge already as far as he was complaining about some other inconsequential calls. And quite frankly, I saw the call they made against him. I think it was an offensive foul on a post move. And, you know, you know it, it seemed like it was not the worst call in the world. So, you know, when I see something like that, i just kind of curious. I don't want to get into, like, the armchair psychologist mode. But... You know, he's from Turkey, and I just have to wonder, like, is there other things that are, like, on his mind that have already got him ratcheted up and that just was the culmination of something that didn't even relate to the court?
1: I'm not sure. Uh, I I think that it's pure speculation to go deep into that. I think he had back-to-back tough nights. Um, He's typically a pretty evenly keeled guy, even after last night when he – I mean, or the night before last, uh, Wednesday night in, in New Orleans, even when he got hit in the eye and it opened up that gash, he uh, he tweeted out a picture of it that night. And he was kind of like jerk- joking about it on the internet. He said, hashtag Turkish warrior, with a picture of his his face busted open. But, you, you know, last night was a little bit out of character in regard to uh, how frustrated he was on the sideline. But, um, you know, he's a guy that, he does get a little pouty at times during games when, when a call doesn't go his way or he gets called for a travel or, or you know, he's getting that double team and it comes quickly and, and he has to kind of power through it. So I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to go as far as to say if there's something else going on, but um, it was a little bit. Out of his character to be as frustrated as he was on the sideline.
0: Sure, and everyone it sounded like said the right things afterwards to the press about you know how he you know he it, 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 no one was angry at him for for taking himself out of the lineup like that. Uh, it, it, does that do you have the sense that that's genuine?
1: Yeah, you know it's like I, I, I can't I can't keep count of how many times I've seen guys slam their hands on a scorer's table or or hit a chair or slam a towel or, or slap the floor or do something out of frustration in the game. It's something that, you know, we're, we're asking these guys to be in complete control for 48 minutes every night, and it's not going to happen. Um, you know, a couple, I mean, maybe a month or two ago, you know, Russell Westbrook slams his hand on the scorer's table, knocks, um, knocks the powder off the scorer's table. He's mad at a call at the end of the game where he didn't get a couple of calls against Atlanta. Um, what if he breaks his hand in that instance? Or what if something happens where he hurts himself? Mm-hmm. Are we being as critical of Russell Westbrook then? It's just a freak thing. Like, these guys do this stuff all the time, but when they get hurt, we want to say, oh, they should be more careful, or, or they, they're not thinking about the team. The thing is, is they're not thinking, because it's instinctual, and it's just a thing that happens in athletics all the time. And I just think it was just a freak thing that kind of happened
0: to Camer last night. For sure, and you know, a lot of times, even like when I coach at the high school level, you know, coaches tend to be really upset with the big, huge reactions like that. And I feel like a lot of times the players might feel that it's simply because they're trying to keep them down or keep their emotions checked. And it's like, no, part of it is is that you could hurt yourself when you get too, you know, uh, up in, in arms and that kind of stuff. And here we are with uh, with a, this is a, a severe blow for the Thunder. And I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are. Uh, You know, they're playing, they're surprising everybody. They're on their way to, you know, 50 wins or whatever they're going to win. Uh, Are they going to be able to keep this up without him in the lineup for two months?
1: It'll be interesting to see. I I think that if this happened earlier in the season, it might have been something that they could have had a better chance of, of weathering through because the schedule in the early season was, you know, very home heavy. Uh, a lot of lighter teams—they're uh, getting into a really rough slate right now, and they're already in the middle of a rough slate. They've had—they've had—they're they, had, um, going to have twelve of fifteen on the road this month. Uh, they're wrapping up the month with with Cleveland and San Antonio in a three-day stretch. Um, it, it's going to be tough for them. They've got, they got—they got San Antonio three more times. They have got Cleveland twice. They have got Golden State two more times. Uh, they got Utah a couple more times. So this isn't a bad cap of the schedule that is conducive to losing a key scorer, a key rebounder, and being able to just navigate through it easily. Nothing was going to be easy for the Thunder regardless because, you know, losing Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka is just such a big blow to, to a team that needs that spacing and that scoring. But considering how great Russell Westbrook's been to start this season uh, and throughout the entire season, uh, Stephen Adams... Uh, Victor Oladipo uh, has been shooting uh, pretty well since returning from his uh, his right wrist injury, it, and, and Cam has been playing the best basketball of his career. So mm-hmm. it, it's going to be interesting to see how they make up for his rebounding and scoring in that stretch, and, and it's going to be difficult. This is a team that could not afford an injury to a key rotation player.
0: Well, this leads me to my next question, which is, I've always been pretty high on Joffrey Laverne. I've always liked what I've seen with him before he got to the Thunder. Um, and this has to be his golden opportunity to show showcase what he can do. And he's To me, he actually gives them even more versatility.
1: Yeah, is an interesting character, and, and he, he's going through stretches this year where he's been hot and cold from three. He hadn't shot a lot of threes in the first two years of his career, but this year he's already exceeded the totals he had from the previous two years in Denver. Billy Donovan's you know, taking him out and making him more of that stretch four, stretch five kind of guy, and, and he's shown that he's capable of making threes. He's got a good stroke. Uh, the question is, is he going to come back, and, and is he going to be able to, to put together consistent performances? Uh, you'll see times where he gets on the court and there's these, there's these lapses in terms of his defensive responsibilities, uh, even his offensive responsibilities and where he's supposed to be. But when he's completely focused, he's an effective player. He's not going to be an Ennis Canner type world-class uh, offensive rebounder or a guy who can get in the post and just just go to work and, and, and put on a series of moves down there like Ennis Canner, because there aren't that many guys like that. But Joffrey does give you some, some interesting options in terms of being able to stretch the floor. I, I was looking at his shooting numbers last night because I didn't remember the last time the guy made it three. I think he's 2 of 13 for his last three uh, from three in, in, in like the past eight or ten games. So he's got to get his three-point stroke back, but he's an interesting figure for the Thunder and what they can do with the five and the four.
0: Absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious to see if that's going to change. Um, you know, no talk about the Thunder would be complete if we didn't talk a little bit about Russ. And, um, you know, we kind of hooked up and, and scheduled this podcast, you know, over the, the, uh, an article you were writing and, and some analysis you did about um, Russ's rebounding numbers. And rather than me, I, I figured, why don't you give us a quick overview of what you were seeing and what the, the crux of the, uh, of the, the article was.
1: Well, I mean, before getting into the crux of it, I mean, you have to account for the fact that Russell Westbrook's one of the greatest rebounding guards we've ever seen. Uh, he's the best rebounding guard in the league. He's the best rebounding guard of his generation. He might be the best ever. Uh, at 6'3", to do what he does, last year he averaged 7.8. Uh, it's, he's, he's remarkable. That being said, uh, in this year of the triple-double and everybody you know, following this triple-double chase that he has and, and him already eclipsing his total from last year, blowing it out of the water. You've got to look at it in, 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 the, in the context with which he's getting these triple doubles. Um, there's a lot of, I don't want to call it so much enabling, but there's a lot of opportunity that's given to him to get rebounds because of the work that his teammates are doing, because of the, 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 the things that he's doing on the court in terms of putting himself more on the lane line for free throws to get, uh, basically giving defensive rebounds off of free throws. Uh, I think at the time that I did the article, he had lined up on the free throw line and gotten, you know, 45 more defensive rebounds off of missed free throws than he had at that previous mark uh, from the previous year uh, or at that mark from the previous year through 40 games. Mm -hmm. So it was just interesting to look at, you know, what things he's doing differently to get these rebounds. And if you look at tape, you'll see his teammates on free throws, his Cantor, uh, Jocker Laverne, Stephen Adams. These bigs are basically occupying bodies so Russell can kind of split in between them and jump in for defensive rebounds. Uh, he's one of he, – he, he led the league, or he's, he's probably still leading the league at the time I did the article at 40 games. He was grabbing about 8.6 or 8.7 uncontested rebounds a game according to NBA stats, NBA.com slash stats. And it's a pretty wide margin over the next closest guy. And in terms of guys on his team, if, when you look at the rebound percentage and how many rebounds he's getting that are contested, he was he was by far the lowest among qualified players. I think Victor Oladipo was the next closest to him. And even between he and Oladipo, uh, the contested rebound percentage was, was miles between he and Oladipo compared to the rest of the guys on the team. So what I'm saying is, there's this argument that you know, you know, Westbrook is doing these amazing things, and he, and he definitely is, but there's a greater context to what he's doing in that uh, he's playing for a team in which he's playing with a lot of selfless guys which allow him to get these uncontested rebounds or occupying bodies so he can have free run at defensive rebounds. Um, there's also the fact that you know, Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka aren't on the team anymore. And, and that's going to leave more defensive rebounds anyway because uh, Kevin, Kevin Durant, we don't realize it, but he is an elite defensive rebounder in this league. He's one of the best in the league. Sure. So somebody had to account for those rebounds, and it's Russell
0: Westbrook. <laughs> okay, I mean, here's the thing: it's like I've always kind of, in the last few years, talked about how we should probably separate out the defensive rebounds on a missed free throw from guys' stats, just because, for you know, they're they're generally uncontested, they're easy rebounds to grab, um, you know. But it was interesting to actually focus the way you did on it and and realize that they're clearing out. And again, it's like I don't know if I have. That much of an issue with that, although I think it does. The, the real issue would probably be: is is this springing out of a motivation to simply get him triple doubles, or to simply get him the numbers, right? Like that—that is—that could be a little bit of a detriment to a team concept in theory. Even though you know the big men, I think they're on record, right? They're on record as saying, you know, it's kind of easier for me if I just clear the guy out and let Russ swoop in for the rebound. Right? I think isn't that what Adam said? Yeah, and and. Adams is the Adams is really
1: kind of like the perfect guy. He's he's, per, he's, he, he's essentially the perfect teammate. The guy really doesn't give a crap about his stats. Um, I mean, he's been he's been a guy even before this season where you will say, "Oh, Stephen, you walk up to him after the game and be like, oh, did you realize you had this many rebounds or something?'" And he'll mm-hmm. say, "Oh, I don't know." Right. He's just so very. <laughs> He's so nonchalant and, and doesn't really care about the statistical part of the game mm-hmm. that you can, you can kind of believe him when he says, Oh, you know, it, it's easier for me to just box out the guy and let Russell run in there or let uh, somebody else come in there and get the rebound. And
0: it, you bring up the word issue.
1: I, I think issue is, is case to case or, or it's person to person. You know, if this was affecting the way that they won games or mm-hmm. won or lost games, if these guys were clearing out for Russell and he was going for rebounds and they were losing games because of it, I think it would be something personally that would be an issue. But if it's a defensive rebound off of a free throw, to me, I don't think that's as big of a deal. Now, do you put an asterisk next to it in a historical standpoint, a historical context and say, Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double for a year, but I mean, that right. plays to your argument of you know, separating the defensive rebounds in terms of statistic. But, hey, that's an argument for another day. It still doesn't diminish. <laughs> yeah. It still doesn't what this guy is doing. And, and I go back to the point that this guy is one of the greatest um, rebounders we've ever seen in the position. And even if you disregard the defensive rebounds, the work that he does on the offensive rebounds in terms of his will and his want is, is – is really phenomenal
0: as well. Yeah. And I also think it, it speaks to the, the kind of arbitrary nature of a triple double. Why is a you know a twenty five point eleven rebound ten assist game better than a thirty point nine rebound eight assist game. You know what I mean? It just seems but, kind of exactly. silly. And so so that so that you know it's a question, but I, I think You know, and again, I've been much maligned with my analysis of Russell Westbrook, and I get a lot of fans who are always angry at me about it to the point where, you know, it's kind of almost comforting because to me it indicates that they've been with me for a long time, (laughs) and they know all my tweets that I've said about him, which is kind of like, wow, you you remember I said that three years ago? So, but, um, you know, I think the one issue, and there was this article on Reddit, which I think was really fantastically researched, and here's what I think it gave me a little bit of pause, because I'm with you on the whole rebounding on the free throw. It's like, whatever. Um, that's, I don't care about that. It doesn't really, Especially when you have the teammates, like you said. But the, the indication seemed to be, at least in the numbers, and that's not without me like really looking at it carefully, that the numbers seem to indicate that Russ... Uh, is is suffering defensively so he can hang around the rim and grab more rebounds. Now that starts to intrude upon wins and losses, I would think. Do you see any of that evidence when you're watching these games?
1: Well, I just see it as a continuation of Russell Westbrook just not really caring so much about permanent defense. Um, Uh I don't know necessarily if he's chasing uh, triple-doubles as so much as you know, we've seen this we've seen this movie before. We've seen this movie for four or five years now that he, he's typically not very concerned with, with guarding on the perimeter. Uh, I, I, I did find that fascinating in terms of him contesting jump shots and, and those statistics uh, in that Reddit article. But it, t- to me, I don't think it's any different than what he, how he's been playing in previous seasons. I, I just think that a big part of it is you don't have Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka around anymore, too. And I, and I don't think we will give that enough credence as well because those guys—that's
0: well, a bunch of rebounds. You're losing off your team. Kevin Durant averaged eight, some eight,
1: eight or so rebounds a game last year for the Thunder, and he was the leading rebounder. Mm-hmm. They got to go somewhere. And you know, Billy Donovan said before that guys aren't going to follow Westbrook to the to the rim in terms of rebounds because guards typically don't do that stuff. And does it help him a little bit when he gets the ball and he can initiate the break? I don't think it helps as much as people make it out to be. Uh, you can always just have a guy rebound and it off to him and then he can toss an outlet if he wants to. And the outlet pass is always going to be better than him taking off on the break anyway because the pass is faster than a guy running down the court, no matter how fast Russell Westbrook is. But he hasn't played very good defense for, you know, for the better part of his career now. He, he takes plays off. He's, he's, he can be a really engaged perimeter defender when he wants to be. And when he rises to the challenge, I think he gets up for big games. But, you know, that's something I'd have to look at a little bit more. Uh, I found that to be a, definitely a fascinating part of that Reddit, Reddit article. But um, I don't know if it's changed any more so than
0: previous seasons. One of the things that gets me frustrated when they talk about the the Thunder, and even in the context of you're saying that they lost Ibaka and they lost Kevin Durant, is that like... The, the rest of his team tends to be treated like they're high school players. And, of course, Russ has to do all this because look who he's playing with. And I look at his roster and say, geez, I think Steven Adams is a fantastic player. Like, I don't think he gets, in, in, for the reasons that you actually said about, you know, his, he doesn't care about stats or whatever, that's probably why he doesn't get more gaudy stats. But, like, whenever I watch them play... He just uh, he just plays the right way and he's perfect for them. I think he could be a top. I don't know. Could he be a top five center in the league? I mean, there's how many centers are like his position anyway? But why why do Oladipo, who's shooting you know very well, his best of his career from three now, and he's he's a pretty good player. I like Jeremy Grant. I think he is good. Um, I think Robertson is you know obviously an elite defender in my mind, and he's you know. There are, by the way, do you see this? I've seen moments where Robertson's being more aggressive on the dribble. Am I crazy? Is that a mirage, or is that really happening?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think Robertson's getting more confident in terms of his uh, his, his driving and, and just dribbling in general. Um, you know, his cuts have gotten more aggressive. He's always, I think, he's always been a pretty intelligent cutter. But even so, more so this year, mm-hmm. with Adam uh, Adams being able to operate out of the post as a passer, you've seen Robertson utilize those cuts more. Um, I don't. I, I agree with you that I, I don't think people should look at this team as just like Russell Westbrook and a bunch of bunch of just you know spare parts. Uh, Victor Oladipo is not a spare part. Stephen Adams grows week to week, and mm-hmm. his thats a world-class post player. That's a world-class power forward center. Uh, even the guys coming off the bench are Alex Sabrinas can shoot. Anthony Morrow can shoot. Uh, Jeremy Grant's a guy with a lot of bounce. I mean he, he doesn't have any semblance of a mid range game whatsoever. Uh, and and he, he really doesn't have a plan when he puts the ball on the deck, but he's a guy who's twenty two years old and he can he can step out, hit a three and and, and can also elevate and dunk. This isn't a completely bare cover. It's, it's not like this team is tanking by any stretch of imagination. They they've done a good job considering how quickly they had to regroup uh, after Kevin Durant Sergei Bacca leaving. Uh, And even, you know, letting a guy like DeHount Waiters go so they can give Rusty extra money. Like, you know, Deion Waiters, we saw him a couple nights ago, light up the Warriors. That's a good play. He's a good NBA rotation player. Mm -hmm. So, for them to be able to piece together the roster they have, it's been, you know, a testament to Sam Presti and and what they've done. But people shouldn't say, woe is me for Russell Westbrook. He's still got a good team around him. It's just that he's having to create and facilitate even more than he ever did before, because you know Kevin Durant was doing a lot of that as well. Kevin Durant was a was a pretty good facilitator for for a seven foot uh, for a seven foot score and, and Russell's got the ball in his hands more than he ever has. He's got more responsibility his played offensively, but he's not he's not without help and, and I think that there are times where he should probably uh, provide for that help a little more. he should trust that help more and 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 when that's happened, we've seen that happen. We saw him dish off the Victor Oladipo a couple nights ago on the break. Oladipo hit the back breaking three. Uh, he's dished off the Steven Adams late games at times and and Adams has made key plays like a you know, Adams running the floor and Westbrook finding him a couple nights ago in Utah for a big dunk. It, those plays energize and, and, and they give those guys confidence and, and I think you'll see that more I mean, and and as time goes on, but Russell Westbrook's not doing this alone. He's still got a good team around him. You can't be be a one-man wrecking crew and be in contention for four seeds in the Western Conference, that just, that's just kind
0: of how it works, right? Although you know, if you needed, if you wanted to do it that way, I guess Russ would be the one-man one man wrecking crew you'd want behind you because, or in front of, you because you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the early Bulls teams with with Michael Jordan, who was doing everything and then carrying them to you know the forty some wins and the you know first round of the playoffs. But the, the point being that they were you know they were constructing the roster around him. They're doing it around Russ to complement him. And you know, listen, if they completely maximize what they have. Have, they maybe win like two extra, two more games than they already have. I, mean, I think they're really pretty close to maximizing what they have, although now, obviously, without uh, Cantor. But they, and again, I think that with, with, with Laverne, they're not gonna it's gonna be different, but they're not gonna lose much. Here's my one question I know you, you're so busy when you're watching the Thunder. Do you ever have a chance to watch the Wizards play? <laughs> uh,
1: I haven't had a lot of cha- uh, opportunities to watch the Wizards. They came here earlier in the year and You know, I always have to tell myself, I always have to remind myself, John Wall is a really freaking good point guard. But when he plays against Russell Westbrook, he doesn't look like a really freaking good point guard. You know why? Because Russell Westbrook is a Hall of Fame point guard. Like, I I, I have to have such perspective when I watch John Wall. uh, And and I do appreciate him even more when he's not playing the Thunder. But no, I haven't had a chance to watch the, the, the Wizards much. I know... They're getting their ship right again, and I'm happy for them. And Scott Brooks.
0: Well, the reason why I ask <laughs> is because I haven't watched a lot of the Wizards yet. I'm going to do a deep dive in them soon, um, but I did watch a little bit recently, and I have to tell you the offense. There's a lot of motion. It's a lot of off-ball screens. It looks you know really good. Um, so the question then is why, where, how does, does Scott Brooks all of a sudden get this offense? And, you know, where was – like, did he not – was he not allowed to run it in OKC? Like, this is my interesting question. When you start to look in the context over a couple of years, you know, that that's weird to me. Like, like you know, all of a sudden he can arise with this really good motion offense that they kind of were upset they didn't have, I think. Um, and that's probably why Durant left. I feel like Durant got tired of, well, your turn, Russ. Now my turn. Now your turn. And we don't move much. Um, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that's – uh, a, a player influence issue where the coach isn't getting it to run what they want to run?
1: I think it's uh, I think that the thunder, you know, and, and I say the word enabled in the, in the most positive sense possible. They had two brilliant, brilliantly gifted stars. One who's a once in a generation scorer. The other who's a once in a generation athlete. And they said, here's the ball guys. Go be yourself and do what you do. And I think that it was almost to a detriment to them once they matured and grew as players because when those situations arose at the end of games, it was what we call around here the international distress signal. You know, Russell Westbrook brings the ball up. Kevin Durant's <laughs> got guy hanging on his back at the top of the key, and, and, and Kevin Durant puts his arm out like he's waving for a taxi. And then it results in either passing the ball to Durant, he goes iso, or the ball gets picked off because you're telegraphing what you want to do, and then the ball's going the other way and it's a turnover. Um, I, I think Scott Brooks probably has a little bit more, uh, you know, those guys' ear. And he, Scott Brooks had Kevin Durant, and Russell Westbrook at a young age, and had those guys where he's telling them, you know, go do you, go score, go, go be creative. And but now he's got you know young guys who have to who have to uh, I don't, I don't want to say put up with, but had to be coached by Randy Whitman, who, by all accounts, isn't one of the best uh, st- uh, tac- tacticians in the NBA history. They had to do that guy for however many years. Uh, and, you know, Bradley Beale's finally healthy. They've got Scott Brooks has the ear of young guys who want to win. John Wall is notoriously competitive. Uh, for him to be able to get another team, another team of young guys, and be able to mold them. And, and, and kind of implement the things that he wants to do, it, it's different than Durant-Westbrook. It, it's different than, you know, mm-hmm. I guess enabling really mm-hmm. young players, whereas you're, you're trying to help young players in, in Wall and Beal that really want to win because they've been dealing with crap for a while.
0: <laughs> okay, that's, that's interesting that
1: because
0: <laughs> I I wouldn't say that like Wall and Beal and those guys are like young in that sense where they're like you know oh they're so young and impressionable and multiple but uh I mean listen it's possible that, that Scott Brooks spent the extra year off and went around and studied some more and and tried to talk to more coaches and and like you know maybe he adopted more stuff than he had you know while he was coaching the the uh the Thunder because I mean, I have to kind of rack my brains. He took over. He was an assistant, right? And he sort of like got thrust in the role, and then it, they probably weren't even sure he was going to be the main guy, and then ended up keeping the job. Isn't that how that worked after Carlissimo?
1: Yeah, yeah. PJ got fired, and then, then Scott took over. But essentially, I don't know if he had the interim tag or tag or not. I was on beat then, but you know, they they basically just let him come back next year and just say, you know, this is your team. Do this and prove himself, and. You know, they kind of grew together. I think. I think. I think Scott wanted to give those guys that freedom, and it's a freedom that you know it, it paid dividends. They got to a finals. They they were wildly successful, but I think it's also he also bred some bad habits in those guys. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I, I think with some of them, um, I think with I think that was part of the the worry with Kevin Durant going to the Warriors. You know, like was he going to buck up this this free flowing? You know. Just, just unselfish brand of basketball that the Warriors had bred uh, through these guys playing together for however many years they did, and, and you know it, it even it's even taken Durant times to to kind of adjust to that. You know we had that famous scene with him standing oh, yeah. <laughs> standing up at the three point line with Steph and Draymond yelling at those guys, and Durant wanting the ball in that situation. You no, know, it's it, it's it, it's something that started when Durant was a you know an 18 year old or 19 year old playing in Seattle. They gave him the ball and said. Rock and roll, man, and I think it takes time to break those habits. And and I think Scott is probably like you said. I think he's probably matured too as a coach. You know, like he's probably become more demonstrative about what he wants from his players. Uh, He's probably there and saying, "Look, guys, I got the skins on the wall. I've done this before. You guys need to lock in and listen." Like, yeah, I mean, that that, that probably goes a long way with guys like John Wall and and Beal, who are probably looking for that. After, yeah, after having Randy
0: Whitman. Well, I, and I think, by the way, some serious shade on Randy Whitman you're throwing out there at us, but uh, may, maybe hey, deserved. He was, <laughs> um, man,
1: look, yeah, I like Randy. Randy's a nice guy, man. But uh, you know, they they needed they need some fresh blood.
0: Yeah. For sure. And, and so, and I agree. And I feel like, um, you know, you're right. It, this is, these are the perils of, you know, letting, letting the inmates run the asylum to some degree. And my, my take on it has always been like, okay, so, you know, Scott Brooks doesn't want to upset the apple cart and he's got these young guys. He wants to give them empower them. And, you know, he probably doesn't want to get fired, right? He's an, inter, an interim coach who took over. But you're going to get fired anyway. You might as well get in there like he's doing with Washington and say, yeah, like, listen, we're going to run these sets. We're going to get you open. Um, you know, it's funny, yesterday I went through with a buddy of mine uh, a bunch of the, the, the uh, Warriors sets, like their, their staples, what they run, what they you know, on offense. And of the 15 things that I showed this guy on, on, my, on my computer, I was like, you know, 10 of these things that they ran that, that Durant got shots, like he never got any of that kind of action in OKC. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was never, like, setting a screen and then coming down off of a handoff and then getting a wide-open 15-footer after, you know, Steph screens for him. You know, it's those kind of things where you look at it and you go, man, you know, and I know they had tremendous success, and they, had, they were on the verge of beating the Warriors last year. But, you know, yeah. you have to imagine that, and I don't want to call it karmic or basketball gods or whatever, but, you know, clearly against those really good teams – um, you know, it doesn't really end up being successful. So my last question, I guess, for you is, it, you know, you can, you can destroy Phoenix. You can destroy Orlando, get all these stats against them, uh, and then struggle. We have seen like, like the Toronto Raptors are having trouble beating any like, of the good teams. But they're, they're having a good season. They have a good record where should we be judging the Thunder now? I mean, are we judging them under the crucible of, like, a title-contending team? Or is this, like, what they're doing is good and we should respect everything they're doing because, you know, it's right on par with, like, maximizing their potential?
1: You know, I think you've got to judge them based on how they're playing against good teams. I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of their victories early on the season were against – bad teams, and you don't want to call them hollow victories because all those victories count at the end. But we were seeing them demolish, you know, a Chicago on the road that had a sick Jimmy Butler and, mm-hmm. you know, just just not a lot of inside presence and encountering, and Adams just ran roughshod over those guys. But you, you, you look at the situations where they go to Utah, they play a crap third quarter, and then they come out in the fourth quarter and, and, and reinvest themselves defensively and win a tough game on the road and Westbrook, instead of taking a bad three, you know, waits a beat after catching a screen and pulls up from that mid-range, which he's pretty good at when he gets an open look. It's like it's moments like that you take out of the Thunder season. You say, you know, let's look for those against the good teams in hostile situations. The the way that they play Houston close every game this season. Uh, Going up to L.A., winning a close game against the Clippers. Even the Golden State game, uh, from, from the first game to the second game, that's how you grade the Thunder in terms of where they're going to be at the end of the season and, how, and, and and what progress you've seen from them. Because in the first game against Golden State, the game was over by halfway through the second quarter. Mm-hmm. In the second game, they're playing them to a 56-56 tie at halftime, and if they just keep their head and don't start turning the ball over like crazy in the third quarter, then you know it's a four-quarter game. So when I look at this under, I, I look at it as no, they're not title contenders. Um, I don't think there are a lot of teams in the league that are, besides Golden State and <laughs> Cleveland. Right. But you know, there's three. If it's a three team, Well, it, I guess you could throw Houston in there too, but I don't think that they can really. They can't really go shot for shot with, with Golden State in the series. I mean, I think Cleveland's really the only team that stands a chance of that, and you know, Cleveland's dealing with their issues right now, but. Mm-hmm. I tell people this, if the Thunder make the playoffs, which I, which I presume they will, they've got a chance to make any series competitive against anybody in the West but Golden State. A Golden State series would probably be four to five games. Uh, a series against anybody else, wouldn't be surprised if it was six at all. Um, if, they, if they so happen to get Ennis Kanter back, He and Steven Adams have a history of pounding San Antonio. Uh, Kevin Durant played particularly well in that series last year. Their bigs really were the ones that made a difference. And then getting back to playing defense after getting demolished in that first game on the road in San Antonio was what was the difference for them. I I could see them having a chance against San Antonio, even though they might not win. I could see them totally competing blow for blow with Houston. Uh, They've done it this season. Russell Westbrook always gets up to play Houston. We know why. That's correct. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, this is the, the Westbrook-James Harden factor and, and how much they like to compete against each other, that's a series that's one of them for them. Uh, a Clippers series where you don't know what you're going to get from Chris Paul coming back from injury, and you don't know how Blake Griffin's going to hold up as, as he gets back to full strength. And then anybody else in the West is, you know, a spare game. Utah's never been there before. Memphis and the Thunder, I think, are about what and what in terms of their – their style of play and their and their grit and, and and the tradition that they have in that series and you know anybody else that that gets into the playoffs I think the Thunder would probably be a favorite again. So they can compete with anyone. It's just a matter of, you know, how they're gonna how they're gonna play down the stretch. And if they're gonna continue to play complete games against good teams, it's 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 nice to beat Denver, you know. <laughs> like, go <laughs> right. put a complete go put a complete game together against San Antonio, and we haven't seen that because they haven't played San
0: Antonio yet. Right. Oh, I agree, and I also feel like you know it's those moments when he traveled, you know, that ridiculous. I think he was going to go check the ball back up. Is that what he was doing when he brought when he's walking? That was,
1: man, I he. It was funny when he answered that question. He was just like traveling. Like he just he just basically <laughs> made the call of what it was He didn't explain it he was just like trap yeah' <laughs> it's well, like okay, we saw that so. yes
0: and the problem with it was was that it was in the midst of the run that the Warriors did to end the game and that was when you need every shot to be a good shot and five or six possessions in a row you know Russ did not dictate the offense in a way that would have gotten them those good shots and the game was over and that's what frustrates yeah. me, the hell out of me with him is that you know he doesn't seem to recognize this notion of okay this is when the game's about to change and if I don't make sure that we get like a really good shot now because I think in that, in that sequence it was like three or four bad shots there was a dunk in there he got I believe but he had trapped and then three or four bad shots and maybe one other turnover, they were down 12, 14, that was it. it was, they were not going to come back. And uh, and those are the moments, um, the, you know, the moments of truth that uh, sometimes Russ doesn't seem to recognize. And it just, you know, as a point guard, as a coach, my perspective, it just drives me insane.
1: Yeah, it's, um that was really frustrating to watch because y- you played two really controlled, composed quarters yeah. You, you minimize your mistakes. You've turned them over. But even before then, the way that they started the third quarter of that game was troubling to me. They were just jacking threes. And I didn't understand why they were doing it. They were mm-hmm. just completely doing jacking threes. and It wasn't just Russell. It was everybody. Mm-hmm. They get a couple offensive offers and jacking three, jacking three. And then Russell gets the dunk. Durant comes back and races it with the three. And all of a sudden, it becomes Russell versus Kevin. And yeah. Russell starts jacking threes. He jacks a couple of shots and then they score, the, the, the Warriors score in transition, game over. Like, your margin of error is so slim against Golden State that you can't give away possessions. You're, you're completely right. You can't give away any possessions. You've got to come, if you're, at the least, you've got to come away with, with a point per possession. you got to, something close to it. You can't, you can't just have empty possessions like that against right. the Warriors in tight games. you got to get at least two. I mean, because yeah. <laughs> they're going to come and bang a three on you. I mean, it's <laughs> right. so that possession, or, or, or that quarter rather, that stretch in the quarter where, where Russell kind of spaced out and went Russ mode for a minute, Russ versus Durant, Th- that can't happen. And, and and I think he knows that, but it, it's, I think that, you know, it's that that competitive drive in him, and, and it's hard to rein in sometimes, man. And that's the challenge for Billy Donovan and those guys. We, You know, how do you get more of how do you get more of what you saw against Utah late with him being composed and hitting that shot with 1.4 left, uh, facilitating and, and, and getting Adams a, a pass for an easy dunk on the break in a tight game where Russell probably could have just went to the rim or pulled up for, for a jump shot? How do you get more of that rather than, you know, it's, it's personal, me versus Kevin in the, in the tightest of moments?
0: You know that's, that that will be a question we'll have to ask the next time you come on. Uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us and giving us some really great insight into what's going on with the Thunder, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Anytime you need it, just, just give me a call. You got it. And don't forget, sports fans at Bball Breakdown. Not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Eric?
1: Yeah, I'm in all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs>